0: I have a confession to make this morning. I did not want to preach this message today. This was not the message I studied last week. This was not the message I prepared. But it is the message I feel that the Lord wanted me to preach. I, for the last few weeks, I have been, I guess you would say, I have been like Jonah running from the Lord and and what I felt the Lord wanted me to do in my life. God has been lately pressing on me about some issues, and I've done pretty much everything I could not to deal with them. Uh, This last week, I listened to a sermon by probably my very favorite preacher, which God used to press in on me even more, but I continued to push it away because I did not want to deal with it. Then yesterday at the gym, I got my iPod and saw the next sermon on the list on the on the list that would come up, and I knew, kind of had an idea of what it would be about and what the guy would say. So I, I set the the music on rather than set it to the sermon, and I could tell that that wasn't going to be able to work. So I went ahead and I turned it to the message, and I, I listened to it. Throughout the sermon, God dealt with me about areas of my life that. That I have over a period of time let slip areas where I had let the enemy gain ground in my life and and take things from me that were not his. And as I was confessing and repenting of these things, it came to me that it had all not always been so about these areas. Things that I had let the enemy take were things that he did take from me. At one point, they were mine. They were true of me. And over time, I had lost this ground and had given them up. I'm pretty convinced that things like this, we we lose ground bit by bit. It's not ever a big thing. It happens at once. Uh, A few been at this church long enough you've heard me talk and say that i don't believe people go from being sold out to jesus to having nothing to do with jesus overnight they make gradual slips and gradual decisions that continually lead them further and further away i'm convinced it's the same way that the enemy takes ground in our lives he he never wins major battles all at once Um, He wins little battles here and little battles there. And over time, those things add up. And as I was thinking about these things that have I have let slip and I have let be taken away. Decided I I was not content to stay there. I'm not content to let the enemy keep what he has taken. I'm not content to give the enemy ground in my life. Personally, I want to take it back. And we're going to depart from first Corinthians today, but we are staying in the series of Sin City. And at first I was just going to depart all the way. But I thought, you know, if the enemy has ground in our life, there's no real way that we can be light of Jesus in a spiritually darkened culture. We cannot effectively fight the enemy if the enemy has areas of our life that he controls, things that he has taken from us. So if we are to be lights that shine brightly for Jesus in a spiritually darkened culture, we must regain the ground that the enemy has taken. The message today, I believe, will help us take practical steps in doing this If you have let things slip as well. As much as anything, this message was really for me. As I studied this out, it was more for me. What I needed to do to make course corrections in my life. My hope is that you will be able to get something out of it as well. Open your Bible this morning to 1 Samuel chapter 30. Page 233 in your pew Bibles. I'm going to start reading in verse one, and when you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's word. First Samuel 30 and verse one. Now it happened when David and his men came back to came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had invaded the south. And Ziklag was attacked and Ziklag burned and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there. the small to the great, they did not kill anyone, but carried them all away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city and there it was burned with fire and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. David's two wives, Hinoam the Jesuitus and Abigail the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and his daughters, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. The title of the message this morning is, Regaining What the Enemy Has Taken. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. God, you are great and awesome and worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. And Lord, we, I, need what we're going to talk about today. It is easy, disturbingly easy, to let the enemy gain ground in my life, to let things slip over time. For that, I am sorry. Please forgive me for those things. Father, today, as we look at your word, let your Holy Spirit take and make this living and active in our lives. So that we can regain the ground that the enemy has taken. That we would see in our lives areas that we have slipped on. We would notice things that were not right and we would be bothered by that. and We would do what is necessary to take it back. Your spirit, deal with us as your sons and as your daughters, whom you dearly love. Correct us where we need correcting. Strengthen us where we need strengthening. Heal us where we need healing. Save us if we need saving. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and give me clarity of thought, clarity of speech. Help me to speak your words and your ways for your glory. Whatever happens, we'll be careful to give you all the praise for you alone deserve it. We ask this in the name of our wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Let me give you a background on David's life at this moment, in case you're not familiar. David was a shepherd boy that. God chose to replace the flawed and failed King Saul. Saul was not happy with David being God's choice over him, and so he set out to kill him. David ran and he hid and he hid in various places in Israel. But over time, it came apparent that the people of Israel were going to be loyal to Saul. And by and large, they would turn David over to Saul if the opportunity arose. So David decided to go to the land of the Philistines and live because it would be out of Saul's reach While he was there he Lived in a town called Ziklag And in Ziklag he served under one of the kings or one of the rulers of the Philistines There came a day where the lords of the Philistines decided they would go to battle against the armies of God the armies of Israel And the ruler That David served, called David to go with him. And David pledged that he would fight against the armies of Israel for the kings of the Philistines. When they all arrived, the other lords of the Philistines saw David and they were distressed by it. They told the guy that David was serving. What better way to be reconciled to his king than to turn on us in the midst of battle? So send him away. So David and his army was sent back to Ziklag to set the battle out. While they were gone, raiders came, this is where we're picking up, and they took the people, conquered the town, burned it with fire, and stole everything that was in it. So when David and them came back, there was this great and devastating loss, loss of life, loss of family, loss of stuff. And the rest of this story details what David did in order to get it back. And I believe that what David did to get back what the enemy had taken will help us also get back what the enemy has taken in our life. In this passage, I believe it shows us four four actions that we must take. The first is that we have to recognize what has been lost. They came back, verses 1-3 through tell us that basically they had taken everything. The city was burned. The people were gone. We're told that nobody was killed, but they didn't know that. So they came in and, and they recognized. They saw immediately. They had lost, they'd lost everything. Other than the stuff they took to battle. Weapons, clothes, food. All, all that they had, all that they had acquired, all that they longed for in life had been taken from them. David's situation is a bit different than ours. David and them would, it would be really difficult for them not to notice that everything was gone. The stuff had been taken. For us, it's not quite as easy as coming back and finding out that the city has been burned and all our family has been taken captive. For us, what has been taken is often more subtle. It happens without our even realizing that it's been lost. And so I wonder this morning, in your life are there things that you have lost in your spiritual life and your relationship with Jesus? You know it would be easy to say things like, you know reading your Bible and praying and coming to church and serving the Lord and you know living in sin, things along those lines. But I think too often we focus on those sorts of things. Right? And those actions, in and of themselves aren't the solution. Or the problem. More than anything. The attitude behind them. Really matters more than the actions themselves. So. I do want to talk about our service to Jesus. And I want to use that idea of service. In a broad way. About prayer and Bible study. And all of the other stuff. But more than asking. Have we lost the actions. What I want us to think about. Are the attitudes behind the actions. Right. Because. The loss there is far more significant than the loss of the actions themselves. So let me ask you this morning. How is my love for Jesus? Now, if I were to ask you, what is the great commandment? I'm certain most of us could explain the great commandment is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. Right? That love is meant to be the that is the main the main thing. That if there is one command of God we are going to keep, it would be to love God. Because if we love God with our heart, soul, mind and strength, then everything else would work out. So when we think about love and loving Jesus, I want you to think about it in this way. The why of my service. Why do I do the things I do? Why do you read your Bible? Why do you pray? Why do you come to church? Why do you give? Why do you use your spiritual gift? Why do you tell people about Jesus? Why do you do what you do? It's important for us to understand the why is at least as important as the what. Why we do it is at least as important as what we do. And and I contend and I believe that why we do it is in fact more important than what we do. Let me show you this. Jesus wrote to the church in Ephesus in the book of Revelation, and notice at first what he says, I know your works, your labor, your patience. You cannot bear those who are evil. You have tested those who say they're apostles and are not, and have found them liars. You have persevered, and have had patience, and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Now, would you say that church did a lot? They it did. It did a lot of stuff. In fact, the two verses later, it talks about even more stuff that they did. They were an active church. They were active Christians. They they did all of the right things. Labor, I mean, the idea of labor and that word, it's the word where they they basically worked until they couldn't have the strength to go on. But they went on anyway is really the picture that if there was something that they were supposed to do, they did it to the best of their abilities. They did it over and over and over again. Now that would be what you would call. I mean, surely you think that would be the surely this is like the best church ever. But despite all the the things that they did, Jesus said, I still have something against you. You have left your first love. And the idea that they had left their first love is that they weren't really doing those things because they loved Jesus anymore. They were still doing them, but love wasn't the why of their service. Now, I don't know what the, the why of their service was, but it wasn't their love for Jesus. Now, we didn't have time to really look at everything about this passage, but if we had... What we would find is, because we want to stop there and say, well, yeah, love is not, I mean, they're not doing the right things for the right, they're not doing the things for the right reasons. Surely it's still okay, though. The very next verse, Jesus says, if they don't repent, and if they don't go back to doing things in the way they first did it, he will remove the lampstand. When the idea is that is, he will shut the church down. I want you to think about that. He would rather the church close up and there be no gospel witness there than for there to be a bunch of Christians serving Him out of something other than love. How big is it that our service be motivated by our love for Jesus, that we do what we do because we love Him? Now, I don't know any certain way to tell you how can you be sure that you're doing it because you love Him. How can you know for it without a doubt? But here's what I find in my life. I can tell a shift in my affection for Jesus... And my attitudes toward my service. Right. When, when I love Jesus, all my heart, soul, mind and strength, I get to serve Jesus. I look forward to reading my Bible. I'm eager to pray. Right. I, I get to do those things. When my affections have slipped, I, I have to do those things. I ought to do those things. And, and those are big differences. See, as I thought about this this week, I've realized for the last month. i woke up on a Sunday morning when the alarm went off and thought, I, when this day's over, it'll just, if I can just get through today. I have to go. I have to preach. I have to teach. It wasn't a big thought. It was just this little thought when the alarm first went off. Only day of the week it happened. But it was there. Let me ask you, do you... Do you get to read your Bible or do you have to read your Bible? Do you get to pray or do you have to pray? You want to come to church or do you have to come to church? Which one of those you do will say a lot about our love for the Lord? Obligation is never really love. Obligation is something different. Love is not a burden in the passage I read at the start of service. The Apostle John said this is how we know that we love God. When we keep his command and his commands are not a burden. Have to's won't sustain us. I mean, just the reality is. No one does what they have to do forever. At some point, a have to will be a not do. Especially as adults, there's not an awful lot that I Have to do in life. I don't have to read my Bible. Because you guys don't grade me on it. There's no one who can stand over me. And make sure I do it. And check it. My homework to make sure I've done it right. So if I have to do it. Eventually I won't do it. But if I get to do it. That's a different mindset. That's a different issue. Why do you do what you do. In your service to Jesus. Do you get to or do you have to? A second question. How is my my zeal for Jesus? Zeal is enthusiasm. Excitement. And, and in terms of our service to Jesus, think of this as the, the how of service. How I do what I do. So you do what you're supposed to do. But what is your attitude as you do it? How do you do it? How do you how do you read your Bible? How do you pray? How do you come to church? Is there excitement as the Bible says there should be? Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. I think if we were to do a survey of Scripture on how God wants us to serve him, we would find that excitement Enthusiasm are keys. Not like the psalm said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Now. Going into the house of the Lord in the Old Testament really was kind of symbolic of their relationship with God as a whole. They didn't have Bibles to read when they went into the house of the Lord. The Bible was read for them. They couldn't. Experience God's presence as we do. But God was in his house and they went there. So don't think of that just in what's my attitude towards going to church. But really, I was glad when it was time to read my Bible. I was glad when it was time to pray. I was glad when it was time to go to church. I was glad when it was time to. To do what I do for Jesus. How do you do it? Is it a grudging responsibility? Or is it a joyful task? Again, those, those aren't the same things. We are meant to enjoy our relationship with Jesus. We are, we are meant to be excited about it. How do we do the things that we do? A third one is how is my hope in Jesus? A biblical hope is a well-grounded, well-founded assurance that, that God will do what He has said He will do. Where the biblical hope is the idea of an expectation we expect That God will keep His Word, that Jesus will do what He has said. And in our service, I want us to think about this one the the what of service. What do you expect when you do what you do? What do you expect when you spend time reading God's Word? What do you expect when you pray? What do you expect when you come to church? What, What do you expect? When you do what you do for Jesus. You know, the Bible says that we should expect a lot. Jesus said that if you have faith as the grain, uh, faith as a mustard seed, you can say this mulberry tree be pulled up by the roots, planted in the sea, and it would obey you. The idea with that is just that a little faith in a big God can do great things. So, Like the Bible says, the Holy Spirit will speak to us through His Word. That He will show us what's true. He will renew our minds and He will transform our lives. Do you expect that? The Bible reveals to us the heart, the mind, and the will of God. Do Do you expect that when you study the Bible that you will come to know God better? That you will be changed and become more like Jesus As you study, do you expect that? What do you expect that God hears your prayers? Do you expect that he'll answer your prayers and that because of your prayers, things will happen in the world? That because you prayed for somebody, they'll be healed, that because you prayed for somebody, they'll be saved. Because you prayed God would do something and make a difference. That because you spent that time, you'll know God better. You'll be closer to Him, more aware of His presence. Do you expect that? Do you expect that when we gather here, we will meet to God together and be strengthened and encouraged and enabled to go out into a lost and a dying world and be lights that shine brightly for Jesus? Do do you expect... That what we do here will make a difference in how you live tomorrow? Do you expect that what goes on right now will matter? Is important? Right? And not it's not just something I do. But it really is really truly important. It can help me in my life. Do you expect that? Because we we should. These are all things that should happen. These are all things the Bible talks about. Do you you have hope in Jesus? Do you expect that He will do all the things that He has said He will do in you, through you, and for you? Now see, these are bigger than, are you reading your Bible, aren't they? This is bigger than, do you come to church? Because this gets down right to where we really live. I mean, it, it cuts through the show that we put on. That people can see. And deals with us on a very personal level. These are the things that God has been dealing with me about. I I was aware, but I didn't want to deal with it. And the thing about these things is that they do slip gradually. I looked at some of my older sermons and some of my older Bible journals And in some ways, I think my sermons are better, at least I hope, um, because some of those I'm not even sure I made a lot of sense when I was looking at what I had written. But there was sure a bold faith years and years ago that I don't necessarily see today. My journals today, my daily journals are maybe just a sentence or two sometimes. That I've written down in in days past. It was pages from one day's Bible reading. And I I do the same basic Bible study that I've done for years. There's been a gradual shift. And I've got to where I don't expect what I used to expect. I've got to where I have to do certain things. I've got to where I'm not as excited about it. And that bothers me. I've always said I don't want ministry to be a job that I do, but a calling that I fulfill. And I feel that I have let it in some ways become more of a job, less than a calling. My relationship has become more of a check the box and less of a really a time with Jesus. And that's troublesome for me. Before we can ever regain what the enemy has taken, there does have to be a a recognition that these things are gone. And there has to be an honesty with it, I think, because, again, I've noticed in my life that these things have slipped, but I've always been able to give an answer as to why they haven't. It's not a problem. Well, I'm busy and I didn't have time to really focus on my reading like I did well, you know, just when you're older, you don't have that youthful zeal, zeal without knowledge when you're young. You, you come up with all of these rationalized answers as to why the enemy has taken this ground and why it's OK. And as long as I'm rationalizing, as long as you're rationalizing it, you're not going to get it back. That, and the enemy doesn't take ground and hold it. He takes ground, holds it, and then takes more ground later. Always. So if we ever want to get back what the enemy has taken, there has to be an honesty. This is this is the way it is. This is where it is. This is what I have let the enemy take in my life from my life. That's the first step. Secondly. I have to miss what has been lost Verse four says that David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept. They had no more power to weep. Have you ever been so overcome with emotion that you cried until your tears ran out? You cried until your eyes swelled up. That's where David and his people were at this point. They they missed what had been taken. They they saw it and they mourned over what had been taken. They regretted the loss. And I believe with us, this is necessary too. There has to be a, a time of mourning over it. There has to be a, I miss the way that it used to be. I miss the hope that I had. I miss the intimacy that I had. I miss the zeal, the excitement, the enthusiasm that I had. Whatever I I miss that. Cuz again, if we don't miss it, we won't ever seek to take it back. This wouldn't be the only time that David let the enemy take ground in his life and he later missed it. David in a later point does become king. And once he gets good and established, he, he stays home while the army goes out to war. And while he does, he sees a woman, he lusts after her, and he commands that she would be brought and he sleeps with her. She becomes pregnant. He tries everything he can to cover it up. When he can't cover it up in natural ways, he has this man killed. Marries her so that it will look like it was his child In a righteous way. God sees what he has done. And God was not pleased. And there were consequences. David faces these consequences. He writes a psalm of repentance. A psalm showing his remorse. And one of the things I noticed as I was reading through it. Is how much David missed what he had lost. Look, Look at what he says. Do not cast me away from your presence. And do not take your Holy Spirit from me. One of the things I like about that, I love about that, is that David's what he missed was his intimacy with God. What David was worried about losing at this point was his closeness, his relationship with the Lord. At this point, he's not lamenting the fact that he may suffer judgment. At this point, he's lamenting the fact his relationship with God has suffered. And you could say he misses that and he wants it back. Later, he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation, the way that it used to be. Uphold me by your generous spirit. David knew what it was to enjoy living for the Lord, to have that enthusiasm and that excitement and that intimacy. And now in this time, the enemy had taken that and he he missed it and he he wanted it back. And this one I I really like For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. Sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Now, this is significant because if you have read the Old Testament, what did the law demand for everything you did wrong? A sacrifice, a burnt offering. So you know what it became easy for the people of Israel to do? They would sin. And then they would take a goat and they would offer it, but they didn't change. They really didn't feel bad about what they had done. They didn't miss what was gone and what they had lost. They just let me do this so that God won't burn down my house, so that God won't break my leg. And a lot of times we while we don't go home and make animal sacrifices, we follow a similar pattern. We do it. Oh, Lord, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Do we regret it? No. What do we want? We want to make sure God doesn't burn down our house or break our leg or in any other way punish us for what we have done. We don't regret what we've done. We don't miss the loss. We may even make these big, I will serve the Lord and God, if you just don't let this come back to haunt me, then I will give you 40% and I will do this and I will do that and I'll always this way. What God is wanting us to know from David is, I don't want all that. Here's what I want. I want you to genuinely regret what's happened. I want you to miss what's been lost. I want you to miss it enough that you want it back the way that it used to be. I don't want you to be complacent in the way that you are and in where you've gone. I want you to miss what used to be and seek to change it. Again, if we don't miss it, we'll never seek to take it back. There has to be a mourning over the loss, a regret over the loss. We have to miss what's been taken. But then thirdly, seek strength and guidance from God. Verse six is interesting. Now, David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him. What great friends David had. And let's put that in context of they were his friends. These weren't just random people who lived at Ziklag. These were when David fled, he went and hid in a cave. And other people who were being distressed by Saul went to David. Other people left the army to go and be with David. These were people that David should have been able to count on. These were people that David should that should have had David's back and should have been there and said, Okay, what do we do now? But instead in their time of mourning and loss, they they turned on David. And I would love to tell you that we live in a world where people are different. But we're not. Unfortunately, many times, your friends, your loved ones brothers and sisters in Christ even. In this time of need. They will. They will turn on you. They will fail you. It has been said that the Christian army is the only army which shoots its wounded. Sadly. That is often the case. And when that happens. What do we do? Where do we go? Well we follow David's example. But David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. David knew that people would let him down. David knew that people flawed and weak and fallible, as he himself was. So he sought to strengthen himself in the Lord. Once we realize something has been taken and we miss what is gone, we need God's help and God's strength to, to guide us there. I think, in a way, David's going to God for comfort from his sorrow. Because, you know, if I don't go to God, when I realize something is taken and I, I regret it, I begin to repent. If I don't go to God, I, now all I do is just feel bad about it. The feeling bad overwhelms me. The feeling bad will destroy me. I have found in my life that I can feel so bad that it keeps me from God. I don't seek the Lord because who am I to seek the Lord? Look at what I've allowed to happen. Look at what I've done. And in these times when there is remorse, there is regret over what's lost. There is a desperate need for us to seek strength from the Lord, that comfort. Because God God had not given up on David and God has not given up on you. He who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. He's not done with you yet. Seek him. Seek his comfort and seek his strength. But that's not all that we seek. David, it goes on in verse seven. It says, David said to Abathar, the priest, Ahimelech's son, please bring the ephod here to me. And Abathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And the Lord answered him, pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. So David sought strength in the Lord, right? And there's just an element in which God comfort me, God help me. But then he said, what do I do now? How do I get back what has been taken? And so in, in part of seeking the Lord is not just to seek the comfort and the strength of the Lord. We need that. But we need him to guide us. Right? Because the reality is you and I don't know on our own what we need to do to recover what the enemy has taken. Right? it was our ideas And our thoughts and our intelligence and our wisdom that led to the enemy taking it to begin with. We need God to show us what to do. We need God to give us the wisdom necessary to know what to do and how to take back what the enemy has taken. James tells us this is what we're to do. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach and it will be given to him. Now, I love that. Here's the promise. God will guide us. God wants to guide us. And I like that it says liberally and without reproach. Liberally there means he'll give us an abundance of guidance. And without reproach means that he doesn't chastise us in the process. I had a platoon sergeant in the army named Sergeant Keeler. And when I arrived at Fort Campbell, they instantly made me a team leader. And I had no idea how to do it. And... I was made a team leader. My squad leader went to ranger school. And then I went from team leader to squad leader in two weeks. And I barely knew how to do anything. So I would go to him and I'd say, Sergeant Keeler, what do I do here? And he would look at me with a huge dip in his mouth. And he would say, Ross, are you stupid? Or are you just trying to tick me off? <laughs> I don't know. There's not a good answer there, is there? Right? God, that's not what God does. When we go to God, God, how do I get it back? God doesn't say, are you, are you stupid or are you just trying to make me mad? Gives to us an abundance without reproach. But there's a, there's a key to this. Let him ask in faith. Now there's important understanding of what it means to ask in faith. I used to think that to ask in faith meant ask believing that God could answer. And there's an element of that. But a greater understanding of that is that we ask in faith committed to doing what God shows us. Right? Remember, in James, James is all about just do it. Faith without works is dead. So it doesn't make sense that James would say we ask believing that God can. It makes a lot more sense to say that we, we would ask God, give me advice on what I need to do. And God says, do this. And my commitment is, yes, Lord, no matter what it is. You know, the reality is God doesn't give us advice for consideration. He gives us advice for application. When God tells us what to do, he intends that we do it. The reason is God knows more than we do. God always knows the right answer. And what he says is always the right thing, no matter what it is. So as I go to God and say, God, how do I get it back? How do I get back what the enemy has taken? There must be an attitude within me that says, and whatever you show me, that I'll do. There must be a willingness and a commitment to doing what God says. And where there is not that willingness, I am asking in doubt and I'm tossed and driven and I will not receive anything from the Lord. The next verse says that we are double minded and unstable in all of our ways when that's how we are convinced that many times the reason we don't receive guidance from God is because we want God to show us His idea and then we compare it to our idea and Scott's idea and Red's idea and then I can see which one I like the best and I can do that one. And God says, I know far more than all those guys do. And if that's what you're going to do, no. We must ask in faith. Faith is action. Faith is a commitment to do what God shows us to do. We we have to Receive the guidance and then be Nike. Just do it. And that's what David did. Look at verse nine. So David went. I mean, that's what he did. Do I go? Yes. Will I win? Yes. Okay, boys, let's get up, saddle up, or headed out. There was an instant commitment to do what God said to do. It is critical. That once we miss what has been taken, we seek God for strength and guidance. Without God's strength, we will be overwhelmed and giving up. Without God's guidance, we will do the wrong thing. Every time. You and I are not wise enough, smart enough, or spiritual enough to do it on our own. If we were, the enemy would not have taken things from us to begin with. We need God. We need his strength. We need his guidance. And then once we have received his guidance, we fight to regain what has been lost. The rest of this passage up to verse 20. David rides, they find somebody, they get find out where they're at. Then they go and they fight. They do exactly what God said to do without fail. They did it. And verse 17, I think, is really important. And David attacked them from twilight till the evening of the next day. Now, how long is that that they fought? That's like a a really long time. So they fought for like, what, 24 hours? I mean, think about the fighting. They had swords and spears and shields. So that means for about 24 hours, they did this. And then they punched and they kicked and they fell down and they got up and they kicked and some more and they fought for about 24 hours. How hard do you think that was? How many times do you think they got to the point of exhaustion and wanted to quit? How many times did they wonder if it was worth it to keep on? But they did. And and I think the, the key lesson for us is that we have to be in it to win it. We have to stay and fight and keep on fighting. You know, a lot of times what we want to do is we want a quick fix to problems like this. But there aren't any. I think if I had a, a main point to the message, like I normally do, this would be it right here. Well, I jumped ahead. Hang on. This is it right here. I'll go back. We cannot regain in a moment what has been lost over time. Cannot regain in a moment what has been lost over time. For me... The things I know that the enemy has taken, they didn't happen this week. This week is just when God got my attention finally about it. They've been happening for a long time. And there is no quick fix to it. I think that's a huge problem with our culture. You know, over the years of being a pastor, I've had couples come for marriage counseling. And I love to be able to help people when I can. But in many instances, I've had people come... And they have spent years making a mess of their marriage. They've spent years with hurts, anger, bitterness, problems. And they come to me and they say, you have 30 minutes or less to fix our marriage. And if I can't do it in that amount of time, they get mad. We've had couples leave our church. Because in the 30 minutes I had with them, I couldn't fix the problems that they had built in over five years. There are no quick fixes. If it has been years that we have allowed this to go on, it will not be fixed with just this message. Now, this message, it was helpful to me. Through this, I I know what's missing. I regret the loss. I have sought God for strength. He has shown me what I need to do. And now I need to do it. And with you, I hope maybe if you've been if you've lost something in this, God has dealt with you and God has shown you and that you see what needs to be done. But just hearing this message, you're not going to leave here and all of it's fixed. Just a moment, I'm going to have everyone stand and give an opportunity for those that want to to come to the altar and begin to seek the Lord for strength and guidance right now. But even if you come forward in prayer, if you pray where you are, as important as that time of response is, you're not going to get up from that prayer and it's all fixed. You're going to have to fight and you're going to have to fight for a really long time. And the longer you've allowed the enemy to take it, the longer you're going to have to fight to take it back. But I want you to understand, you can take it back. Too many times we think, I can't do it. I can't accomplish it. I can't do what needs to be done. And yet the Bible tells us something vastly different. It is God who works in us, both to will and to do for His good pleasure. If right now you have a desire to take back what the enemy has taken, that is God. God has given you that desire to regain what the enemy has taken, to fight for it. But God not only gives you the will to do it, He gives you the to-do, to do the power to make it happen. God will enable you to do what He wants you to do, always. There is not a single instance in Scripture where God called someone to do something and did not give them the power and the resources necessary to accomplish it. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. There is never a lack of power on the part of a believer. There is a lack of action. There is a lack of doing. It's not that the Bible doesn't work. It's that we don't work the Bible. It's not that God doesn't give us the power. It's that we don't ever go to the place where we need that power. failure, this is hard for me, always lies in us. God never fails to keep up his end of the bargain. We are always the one who stops short. We are always the one who gives up. We are always the one who quits. We have to fight. We have to fight for a really, really long time. But look at at what we're told in verse 19. Verse 18 and 19. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away and David rescued his two wives and nothing of theirs was lacking, small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything which they had taken from them. David recovered all. If we do what God says and we do it in God's power, we can take back everything that we've lost. We can get back to the point to where we love Jesus as we did when we first got saved. We can serve because we get to instead of because we have to. We can have a zeal and excitement and enthusiasm for serving and being with Jesus again. We can have hope where we really believe that God will do things. And he will keep his word and he will accomplish his will. It is possible to recover, to get back all that the enemy has taken, if we follow God's guidance, and if we don't give up, it won't be easy and it won't be quick. But I imagine that their weakness, their exhaustion, their pains paled in comparison to holding their families again. What they received at the end of the battle made the battle worthwhile. What we'll receive at the end will make the struggle worth it all. What I want you to do now is close your eyes. And I just want to ask you some questions. Now, this is a time where, to be honest, so I want to ask you, as you look at your life, your relationship with Jesus do you see things that you have allowed the enemy to take? And if you do, I want you to raise your hand. Just as a way to say, I, I recognize things that are not as they should be. All right. Okay. Now, as you see things that aren't as they should be, do you miss it? Do you regret the loss? Do you want it back? And if so... Would you raise your hand to say, I am not content to stay where I am. I want to be where I should be. Right. Let's all stand. Some musicians come forward.